welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast and recording today's introduction from mainland Spain. So almost back on the island of Ibiza, uh, a little diversion um, here to a little town called Balamedina, which is on the southern coast of Spain. Um, so I'm not that far from um, the White Isle and I'll be getting back there finally next week. But today's podcast comes from a guest um, I met in India on our last Reset Rebel retreat uh, in February, earlier on this month. And her name is Dee Delaney. She is an author of a book called The Truth. And I met her through my um, yoga retreat partner in crime, Taran, um, who also runs Holy Cow Yoga. And the two of us are fresh from our Indian adventures on our travels there and our retreat that we ran together, which was such an amazing experience and journey um, for all of those involved on that week-long immersion. And I think what we kind of gathered from that um, week was that we complement each other in terms of our yoga styles really, really well. And we're going to be bringing that to the Reset Rebel spring into springtime, um, four-day, three, four-night, four-day, four-nights, and third to the 7th of May. Um, We're going to be running another event together, which is going to be hiking and yoga um, and movement um, therapy in the north um, in a place very close to Portanax so staying in is absolutely gorgeous um, agoturismo there Casa Vilda Sanamage and really 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 looking forward to just getting up and doing some practice in the morning having a beautiful breakfast and then getting out into nature at that particular time of year at the start of May Um, when everything is in bloom. The whole island springs to life. There's colour everywhere. Um, Incredible smells of all the wonderful local herbs and um, flowers and everything just coming back to welcome us, basically. Um, Beginning of that whole process, really, of of summertime, beginning to come back again. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting back there for that. Um, So just wanted to let you know that the bookings are available for the Reset Rebel Retreat. You can email us on justthegoodnewsplease at gmail.com. Dee Delaney, today's podcast guest, was on our last Reset Rebel Retreat in India. And we got chatting. Um, over dinner a couple of evenings and I didn't know that she had written um, three books a trilogy of books Um, I think the third one is still sort of in the making as we speak but the first one called The Truth has been published and I haven't quite finished reading it yet I'm almost done Um, but it is a really really intriguing story I guess about Dee's life and a lot of events that have um, come into her path um, that I think a lot of people would really have struggled to deal with. So she truly measures up um, to the goalpost of this podcast, which is, of course, to be a reset rebel. Someone who's reset their path in life to overcome immense challenges or change their life in some way to work in wellness or to have overcome obstacles or helped others reset their path in life through various outreach work um, that we focus on and um, chat to people about on this podcast so today's guest is Dee um, talking to us about her book and if you would like a copy of this book when you um, get to the end of this podcast we have got one free copy to give away, which is signed by Dee. Um, so do drop us a line to just the good news, please, at gmail.com with any feedback that you might have about this podcast or anything you've heard on it, or maybe you want to ask about what kind of free retreat spaces that we are giving away this summer. We are still in the process of putting together the entire package 
of free spaces and events and therapies and things that we've got going on for you in Ibiza this summer. Um, it's only February, so by the sort of middle of March, we'll have that all up on the website for you. Um, so please do keep checking back at thereserebel.com. Um, and we hope you enjoy today's podcast with Dee. Um, yeah, talking about her book, The Truth. Don't go away. So we're here, back in South Goa, and um, I'm sitting on the delightful sofa that is uh, in the gorgeous Casa of Dee Delaney, author. Good afternoon. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How's it going? Very good, yeah, yeah. Enjoying beautiful view out of this, in the trees, with the trees and with the animals in Goa. So it's, yeah, I'm good. Well, thank you for inviting me here to your, um, yeah, your stunning home. It's absolutely beautiful. We're near Patnem, really, where we've just kind of left a yoga class of the wonderful Mr. Yoko, where we've kind of been meeting uh, in the early mornings, uh, Monday to Friday, since I've got here in Patnem. And you also sort of took part in our recent yoga retreat. I did indeed. It was brilliant. So Taryn, um, your dear friend and yourself, ran a retreat on the beach, which is a magical, magical, magical India. Um, I think what's really interesting for me is observing how people come and then how they leave. And in India, India kind of opens you up to things that you need to learn about yourself. And um, it was beautiful just to see people coming and, you know, with their little niggles or their issues, and then they leave after a week of stunning yoga and great food and good vibes and friendship and way more open, their lights brighter. So it's beautiful. I came in and I hid in the back and observed, and it was lovely. So well done, you guys, for organising and bringing people to to have a, a taste of the magic that is India. What well, is that kind of what brought you here? I mean, you say that you kind of, you come here maybe not necessarily looking for something, but possibly, and there is, I mean, you know, it's not called Mother India for nothing. There's definitely a very motherly energy that is here and something that's very nurturing and nourishing, and I, I feel like it's kind of partly similar to Ibiza but a much much softer version yeah I mean that's true so I first came to India when I was 20 um, and between the age of 20 and 21 and I spent a year and it's when I first really connected to this energy and it is goddess energy she takes you in she embraces your heart with a kind of cosmic hug and and as I say to everybody you can't not be yourself in India she India reveals and heals so as women in the West we've become quite masculine in who we are when we come to places like India or Brighton or Ibiza real goddess lands the energy brings us back to center and into our power and what that does for us is that allows us to be our authentic selves and to be authentic means we have to go into some of these things, these wounds that we've been hiding. And we all have, we all come into life pure and open source. But we, as we grow, we're conditioned through society, the people around us and culture. And we start to put on layers of um, ways of being that are not always conducive to living from the heart so we tell ourselves we're too fat or we're too ugly or we're not good enough or smart enough and then when you come to a place like India the great mother she entices you to take them off and to peel yourself back to you just get to that beautiful source inside and when I reached a point in my life at 41 where I had lost two partners and my husband died suddenly on a mountain of a heart attack. And the year before that, my first partner died of a suicide. And then I had a third partner who died a couple of years later. 
amongst other dear friends who passed away. So I was faced at a time in my life with so much loss, so much loss of men. It was men in my life who I loved uh, had left me. And I came to a kind of point where I, I thought, I need to look at why this is happening. So I came to India with two girlfriends, Alex, who lives on the island where you are, and Aditha, and my friend Jennifer. And we had a holiday on a Gonda beach in 2015 in December. And when I left, I fell to the floor in Mumbai airport, and Jennifer had to pick me up. I was sobbing and crying. And I said, I have to live here. I have no idea why, but I have to live here. I need to come to India to find love and to write my books. So that's what I did. I, I packed up my very charmed life in the West and moved to the East to finish my first book, which is called The Truth, My Journey to the Other Side. And it was a book to honour my husband's death. And, and it was my journey and my yoga journey, my meditation journey, my journey through grief. But it, when I came to Goa, something happened that made me realise I was only starting the healing and actually book one turned into book two which turned into a trilogy so this body of work came to me that was calling to be told and it's the story of the goddess and the great mother herself wanted me to write this story so I received some very profound wisdoms from the sands where I used to go and walk every day and my higher self who I reached through healing talked to me and gave me book two and then gave me book three which is about to be published in a couple of months so there's been a lot of what one might call spiritual work um, gone into these books but there's been a lot of love and laughter and friendship and sisterhood and I think that was the thing that I that was really the catalyst with all of this was that the women in my life became my earth stars and soul sisters and there was a beautiful circle of women that was being formed around me that became a reflection of who I was and it was profound how amazing and how beautiful that you had that support network yeah. in place and found that sisterhood to kind yeah. of be there for you here in India and I think there is a very female energy that we've talked about before and that really, yeah, looks out for you and gives you what you need while you're here, even if you don't know what that is when you arrive. And I think, you know, we talked about, you've mentioned just now about these three partners that passed away, but I think I think my, I mean, I haven't read the book yet. I've literally just received a copy of it very kindly donated by you before we started this interview. So I can't wait to actually read that when I get on the plane on the way home tonight. Um, but I feel like, I mean that that's that's a lot of you know that's quite strange for three three partners to go in your lifetime in reasonably quick succession by the sounds of it and I you know you're hardly old yeah. you're very young yeah. and I just you know how have you coped with all this grieving I mean it must have been immense yeah the so my first partner Martin he's the father to my daughter Millie who is about to be 21 and Martin took his own life it was a suicide and he died in June 2009 so in March 2009 and that was profoundly it was like a shock for my daughter not for me because I was my heart had already unraveled for Martin my pain was for my daughter because to lose anyone significant but to lose your daddy through suicide and she was only 10 11 at the time was so much rejection for her it really and utterly asked her as a young child to have to ask some very deep questions like why didn't he love me enough to stay mummy you know and suicide you know, I am a Roman Catholic born and bred and was practicing at the time. And my husband was alive at the time, so there was a deep shame in my family. And when, when I told them Martin's died and it's suicide, the first thing they said is, don't tell Minnie. And I was like, of course I must tell her. I'm not going to lie about one of the most important things in her life. So we 
did a lot of counselling around that, but it was predominantly to nurture my daughter who was going through this terribly dark phase and, and has had to revisit it as she's become an adult now. Then a year later, in June 2010, Tony died, who was my husband, who I have a little boy with. My son was just one at the time. And he was, Tony was my uh, knight in shining armour. He was the guy that I always thought I was going to marry. We had the dream house, we had the love, we were married, we had great jobs, fabulous life. So he was the kind of person that I was always searching for. So I got him and everything was perfect. And I remember him saying to me, we just need to live now, Dee, we've got everything we want. You know, our little boy, this beautiful house, we just built our house, we'd both been promoted at work, etc., etc. so we just need to live now. And then his life was taken very suddenly, he had a, a massive um, coronary heart attack, no warning, although there were, when I go back and you're reading the book, if you read the book, there were signs that his body was withdrawing and that pain was mine and when the police came to the door my little boy ran up and down the hallway and these two young policemen looked at me and I knew there and then without them saying a thing I, I knew that Tony had died because I'm quite in tune if you know in a psychic way and then my daughter was walking down the steps and I took them into the house and I just looked at the police and I said, it's Tony, isn't it? And they said, yes, Mrs Delaney. And they sat me down and there was a, a silence, a stunned silence. And then after kind of almost trying to ask it to go away, I screamed this guttural, primal, howling scream that I've only ever heard once before. And that was when I told my daughter that her dad died. And then suddenly in that moment, kind of mother and daughter were united and she looked at me and I looked at her and she said, now you know, mummy, the pain. And I, I so the pain was raw, really raw. And then Paul was the third partner who died and we were uh, not together and I had no love for him, but I had a child in spirit with him who I chose not to bring into this world. And so... I was suddenly faced at the age, by the time Paul died, I was 44, and I was like, my God, Dee, you've had three children by three different men, and they're all dead. What, I mean, what is it with you? And there was a time when I, I felt very wounded by that, and it was a very dark reality. And I, I internalized it, and I said, what's wrong with me? Am I like a dark character am I what is it with me and then when I I started to seek healing through yoga and meditation and through the esoteric arts I remember one of my clairvoyant friends who I call Magic Marina who's always been there in the background she said to me Dee you're you're a, a soul rescuer I was like what she goes, you're a, you're, you come from a long, long line of soul rescuers or soul midwives. You have the gift of being able to help souls pass over to the next life and souls that are lost because um, you can part the veils. And when she told me that, which was probably about five or six years ago, I bought a book and I looked it up and it was all about helping the dying and working with spirit and passing spirits over and, and poltergeist and there are many elements to being a psychopomp is kind of the official name and I picked the book up and I threw it in the bin I was like oh I don't want this I was scared I was really scared of this gift that I had I was terrified but when I came to India and I had completed my first book I started writing my second book which is called The Truth is the Art of Being and it's based on the Tibetan uh, science of death called the Bardo and the Western pagan view of living and dying because all my work is about integrating East and West, masculine and feminine because I, I, I speak from a place of oneness. And then in March 2017, a young British back 
backpacker called Daniel McLaughlin was brutally raped and murdered on our doorstep. And I could feel her suffering, and everyone could in the community, because it was such a shocking thing to happen. Here in Patnam, somewhere here around here. Here in Patnam, here. It was at the Holly Festival, and she was a young backpacker like I used to be, and she was going to enjoy the festival with everyone else, and she uh, mixed with the wrong crowd, and, and they took her life. And it was... Who did, like, somebody, a tourist? Or? It's, um, were local men, but it's still... I can't say too much about who, because the case is still being investigated, and... Um, her body was dumped under a tree in sacred Shiva land for the world to see with no respect. And we just felt her, and it was awful. And all the women here. So the next day after her death, I went to my female circle and I said to one of the women, we, we have to do something, we have to send her spirit. I said, I th we have to send her prayers and love. And you know. And then my friend came to see me and she, I said to her, said, I have to write this book and do this work. And she was like, yes, spirit. She's one of my high priestesses. She said, spirit are telling me, do you have to write the book? So I went to Tibet and did some training with some lamas um, to understand more about the essence of the bardo. And then I went back to the UK and I trained to be a soul midwife in Dorset with the soul midwives in the UK who... The, um, it was founded by Felicity Warner and she, the lineage is connected to Mary Magdalena and the temples of Isis and we are a group of men and women but mainly women who have the gift of being able to pass people over uh, when they're dying and also in the afterlife to help the soul journey on and so I learnt about the journey of the soul because it's not just embodied in this life as we think it is. It, it travels on and we have many, many, many lives. So my, I, I brought that wisdom together in my second book to try to understand my husband's death firstly because I wasn't there when he died and that for me, as somebody who has this gift, was quite painful. So I understood the different nuances and we know we are elemental beings we're made of water and air and earth and fire and ether and when we die earth leaves our body first and then the water which is our emotions leaves and then the fire comes and then the air comes and that's how we die we're elemental we break down like the trees and the plants but because we've become so disconnected with nature, we don't understand that we are at one with nature and we are nature itself. So we've become really frightened of death. And the soul midwives sit at the bedside of the dying and they help take away the fear because in the West, people are so frightened of dying, they're terrified. and. We come into the life through the womb of our mothers and we're nurtured and it, it, hopefully it's a beautiful experience, but we leave on our own. We go back into the cosmic womb of the great mother. So the cycle continues, but if you're frightened, to bring, you will bring that fear into the next life. So as soul midwives, we sit and we, we try to take away some of that burden so that people can have nice deaths. And then the next level is the work that I've done without being trained or knowing about is I work in the astral realm with many souls that have been lost and are frightened and I help transmute them into the light so that they can move on because they've become stuck in this, in this vibration of darkness, ghosts if you like. And I start my second book recalling a date on the 21st of March 2016 when I was due to come back to India with my son to start my new life which just so happened to be the anniversary of my Millie's father's suicide and I'm in bed and I open my eyes and there are hundreds upon hundreds of ghosts if you like spirit circling me 
and I'm transmuting them into the light and there's this channel of light coming down into my house and how, whatever I have the gift of being able to do, I'm sending them up. And my son also has the same gift and he sat beside me and he's going, Mummy, is that really what I think it is? And I go, yes, yes it is, but don't be frightened. So I managed to see what I was capable of doing which gave me the tools to be able to write about death and dying and the afterlife because in truth there is no after there is an afterlife like it's not just this life and what happens at the point of death is that there's an external dissolution of the body the heart stops you're pronounced dead but actually there's an internal dissolution that happens and it happens for about another 20 minutes where the essence of who you are, the father and mother essence, meets at the heart. The chains of the heart fly open. And like the strands of DNA, your spirit and soul are different. Spirit and soul wind around each other and come out through the crown chakra and spirit goes off. And spirit is Joe in this body, which will always live on, which is why we can contact our ancestors. And soul is the essence of who we are and that travels on and journeys on and reincarnates and remembers if it's a conscious soul many lives that it's had before so and for me that was a profound wisdom that came through the bardo this unraveling of our spiritual dna and it's it's we have like this golden thread umbilical cord connected to our second chakra our navel and through the crown and it's this that one can see when the people are dying and they come out and it's like a halo and that's your your connection with your divine cosmos your higher presence so you're not scared of dying then no i'm not i mean i haven't died yet in this life that you know in this body so no fear of death doesn't no i'm not i i kind of go out and travel into the realm where we go every night anyway I leave my body constantly the body's just a vessel for the soul and the spirit I mean it's just bits of water and earth and twigs and god knows what's in here so we are way 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 we're multi-dimensional beings so nobody look nobody wants to think of themselves having a traumatic death but what I've learned in life is that we, we don't choose when we die. Death comes, and this we must accept. And um, for many of us, it, it's just a chance to move on. Mm. Just a chance to move on. So, you know, of course people are frightened of pain. You know, I, I'm not so naive to think that people with terminal illnesses and they are suffering. But I think what happens is when you go through these elements leaving your body, you actually get to a blissful state and anyone who's sat at the bed of the dying will tell you that there's almost a surrender where the pain goes away and, and the person in the bed is okay. They're no longer fearful and that's beautiful. It's, it's, it's weird actually because I have, I've actually thought about death without getting too maudlin on this uh, this wonderful podcast. Yeah. But I don't, I, you know, I don't, it's not something I've really given a lot of attention to and weirdly on this trip I have actually thought about it more than usual mm. um, and I'd never actually seen a dead body until I came to India probably eight years ago and I got on the back of a, a Royal Enfield and I went up to Varanasi with a, a man that I met on the beach and he actually when we got to Varanasi he had to leave suddenly and I wasn't very well and I decided to take this walk along the River Ganges one one afternoon and ended up at Burning Ghat, and I, well, I couldn't really believe my eyes, to be honest with you, that I saw these dead bodies being carried in on sort of like make makeshift stretchers and burnt, and then some of them pushed out to sea, or with pujas or special ceremonies, and I don't know, India seems to be a kind of place where I think the question of mortality pops up a little bit more often, and also because of this nurturing, nourishing kind of safety kind of feeling perhaps that it feels like maybe a place that you'll always want to come to to pass perhaps I don't know that's something that's definitely crossed my mind for some bizarre reason I think 
where the difference between India and the West is they don't hide death. They don't hide. They don't hide anything, let's be honest. Then that's just the point. They anger, brutality to women, rape, caste system. Every different shade of life is offered to the table to be observed. Whereas I think in the West, we've become way more removed. In countries like India, they understand and more are involved in a natural cycle of life, which is all our lives. You know, we we move. I've written, my first book is actually written around the cycles of life. You know, when I talk about how different seasons bring us different energies, bring us different ways of being, and the body, you know, moves into a place of gaiety in summer, and you feel alive and you want to be socialising, and then you come to sort of autumn and you take stock. We have the harvest and. If you're living with the cycles, it's a time to sort of, you know, maybe do your detox after your summer and draw a little bit in. And then we have winter. Winter is a time of deep reflection. Mm. Winter is a time that the animal kingdom stops. But we don't. We keep going. But actually, there's an invitation to stop. And then you have spring where new life is born and new possibilities and new beginnings. So India is very connected to a cycle, a bit like a shamanic way of being. Shamanism is just esoteric practice, Wicca, paganism, witchcraft. It's all linked to the natural cycle of life. We come in, we're born, we live, we get older, we die, we're reborn. This is what happens in the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, it happens with us too. But in the West, we hide our dead in hospitals or our dying in hospitals. We stick them in a morgue. (laughs) The dead can hear. You know, when a person dies, the consciousness of that person can remain around their body for normally up to seven days, could be two weeks. The dead can hear you. The hearing is the last sense to leave the body and remains. And in fact, when we leave the physical body, the actual soul of that being is nine times more awakened outside of this body than it is in. So it, it can move through mountains, it can, can hear things, so you, you talk to it. And in practices in the East and in many pagan practices, that, and actually where I come from, I come from Ireland, my family, we leave the dying in, in the house and we honour the body and we talk to the body and they're, you know, they're in the house and everyone comes and visits for the wake. They can often be in open caskets um, for the funeral. Um, so you get to see. And like you, I think I saw my first dead body in Varanasi and I loved Varanasi. It didn't mm. scare me. I mean, Varanasi or Benares, as it was called before, is one of the most ancient cities in the world. And it's a place where Hindus come to go back to Marganga, the source, because she represents the source of the goddess of all life. And so this death becomes uh, a moving on. In the Aboriginal world, they have this beautiful saying, you know, traditional Aboriginals who are still living on the land, they actually know when their time comes to die and they tell the tribe, I'm going off now, and they go off to the wilderness and they literally shut themselves down. Their essence allows to leave and and they're supported by the community who say the exact same words as they come into the world as they leave. They, They hear the spirit of the body and the soul hears the same words. May your journey be peaceful as you journey on. I don't, they're not the exact words, but that's the essence. When, when life is born, they honour the life by saying the same words. So the, the start of life and the end of life is a cycle. It's the spiral dance of nature. There's no linear cut. And do you feel like, I mean, maybe being in India with the extreme like, overpopulation of, of the country itself and the amount of kind of people there are per square inch of this fair land and the close proximity that the communities live 
I mean, going back to what you were saying about kind of, you know, there's there's nothing maybe going on so much behind closed doors. It feels like you're very privy, really, to people's personal life here and um, their day-to-day doings are very clear and plain for all to see. So if there was, you know, I don't know, for example, domestic abuse going on next door, you would be very aware of that fact because, you know, you can't hide when you've only got a bit of bamboo wall going on between... um, yourself and your neighbour and I you know they all say like love thy neighbour but I think that really does tend to happen here because uh, this word keeps coming up for me personally is the word acceptance since I got here and I think somehow in the west we are so um, privileged to have more money um, in our humble opinions that this is a privilege and to be much more separated and segregated and have these concrete jungles and houses that we reside in that kind of separate us whereas although we can kind of come here and judge through a pair of eyes that kind of look at the rubbish and the dirt and, you know, the cow poo all over the street and the cows wandering, you know, there's a sense of freedom here. There's a sense of freedom and acceptance and um, non-judge, non-judgment, um, which, I don't know, I just, I, it's a kind of a similar thing again to Ibiza. I feel there's a real element of like, not pirate, piratism, but also, you know, almost like anything goes I feel very like I can be very much me here because if you're walking amongst this kind of sense of community and this feeling of acceptance it just means that you can basically really be yourself and it's not to say that I don't feel like that in Ibiza but there's definitely more of an air of pretense over there in the west because things aren't as accepted and I feel just I love wandering around the village um, as I said on my last podcast in the mornings just witnessing the way the world wakes up here for me that's one of the most special things that I do when I'm here in India and I'm really going to miss that but I feel like this closed doors thing like you're saying like hiding away from all of the shame and the dirt and the you know the kind of dirty laundry of 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 life and life is not like that as you've experienced it seems more than most because you've been through a lot of pain you've been through a lot of hurt and your daughter and you know it's not good to shove these things under the carpet no I think yeah I mean I I always feel immense love in India because I realise how privileged I am. You know, I have white person's privilege here. I have the money and the means to come and go, which is only a dream to most people. So it humbles me, firstly. I, I've been given the most by people who have the least. So that always speaks to my heart, you know. And not just... In what kind of ways, if you don't mind me asking? I'm yeah. just intrigued by that, because that's a beautiful comment. Things so... Ibrahim, who's my friend who manages where I live, thinks nothing about getting up in the middle of the night and come and pick me up from the airport. And he does it as a brother. I'm your brother, Dee. I'm your brother. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. He's like my Indian brother who... I stayed where I live at the moment because of him, because of his love. It's unconditional. Uh, you know, it's just any problem. He said, Do you pick the phone up and I'm here. Mm. You know, I'm of service to you. And I experienced that a lot in India, that people will go out of their ways to invite me in. Come and have some food, my neighbour. Come and have puja with us. Come, come sit. You know, very intimate, sacred thing. Come, come witness, come see. Mm. I'm like, wow, are you sure? Yeah, of course. Someone else will... I've travelled on train journeys before and people have invited me back to their homes for dinner. I mean, strangers. These aren't people I know. These are all strangers. The women who sell the clothes and the little market stores along the street every morning. Hi, how are you, sister? There is an openness and a beauty that comes from a simple life. And I think in the West, we have such a complicated, ridiculous technological life that's made us miserable. We are not happy in the West. I'm generalising, but I think many of your listeners might agree that the more stuff we put on, it doesn't make our lives richer. It actually often makes them more complicated, more stressful and less happy. Whereas in India, I mean, we live on the beach in the jungle surrounded by nature as you describe people live in very basic houses the whole family sleeping in one bed with mother and grandmother and you know extended 
of course they have issues and but because they're rooted in the most simplest of being beingness they wake up they make food for the day they do their chores their errands they earn the money they come back and they are very present in that it's not to say that they don't wish for more because they do you know many of my Indian friends they're not envious but acceptance is a good word that you use they look at me in my life and you know Ibrahim says how how do you do all this I don't and I said it's because I was privileged to be brought up in the west where I had an opportunity to make a lot of money to be able to live the life I had now and they see us coming and many of them aspire to this dream this western dream but those who've taken that dream have come back and realized it doesn't make you happy what makes you happy is your connection to yourself <laughs> your connection to yourself so for me being in india why i feel at peace and happy here is because i feel more connected to myself the rest of it none of it matters mm. none of it matters and when i lost the person who i was most connected to my husband that was my real awakening to none of that mattered because i had associated my life with him being a corporate wife the big house and everything and when that all goes as it went with him none of it mattered i was left a shell because i had all the outer stuff but i was dead inside you know that's very interesting i think well there's a lot of shells wandering around yeah. and um, they're not just washed up on the beach that's for sure i think there's a lot of them here and yeah. and a lot of people i think are drawn to places like this that are in rack and ruin spiritually and emotionally and mentally because it's a place as we've just discussed offers so much and and, and what I think is really beautiful I think when in fact the first time I ever came to India the very first place I arrived here was Palalem and I stayed at the, the little um huts at Bridge and Tunnel on that little bay in between Palalem and Patnam so this is a place that always calls me back and, and I have hung out in the north for the last eight years but this trip I felt I, I know that on that first experience when I was there and I went to my very first yoga class and I met a lady on the mat next to me and she was telling me about her son being in this little community school and she brings him for six months every year and I was like, wow, that's just so beautiful. And she was telling me about how he runs around barefoot and he feels so free here and you know he's meeting lots of children from all, all over the world because of that and there's such an international community and I think that the opportunities and the open-mindedness of travel and meeting people from indigenous cultures from all over the world is is an amazing thing and a gift to give your child i think a lot of people just think oh god it's bloody hippie schools like what could they possibly have to offer it's you know travel is the thing that opens the mind more than any other for me personally and i i'm you know i have spoken to many people here that don't have a passport you know indian people yeah. that you know someone was trying to tell me the other day that a gonda was miles away the guy yeah. from patnam but like just so cute and yeah. it's just so interesting how everybody's got their different perspective on that but there are a lot of single mums here yes. and I've seen a lot of kids with mums on their mopeds in the morning going off to do the school run and I've thought to myself actually being a woman who's single without a child that I would you know if that opportunity passed my way and something cropped up that meant that I was doing it solo then this is definitely a place I would come to do because it's, again you've got that nurturing mother India thing going on but there's just this amazing sense of community and there's beautiful acceptance of the local people and um but also this real open door thing going on, like you've said, the giving kind of... Even when I read that book, Shantaram, about, you know, Prabhu's relationship with the main protagonist, it was, it's that loyalty as well. I mean, we get put off by those horrible fear stories, as you said, about this brutal yeah. rape and murder. But, you know, compared to all the brutal rapes and murders and killings and robbings and stabbings and killings and bombings, you know, you only ever hear about the bad news and these one little story that might have been mm. this situation with the backpacker years ago it, that's not that shouldn't put you off from coming to a no, place like this no I think there's, there's a lot in that so in terms of why I'm here it was to write my books but it was also to be around a, a community of women predominantly there's there's more, way more women living here schooling their kids as you said on their own because as women raising a child on your own it's not easy but you I've never once felt loneliness here and loneliness is different to feeling alone, wanting to be alone. Aloneness is 
being comfortable in your own space and needing time to be alone to process and do the work and that's beautiful and I love aloneness but loneliness when you're judged and you're not married or your husband's dead and you have children and you're on your own and the west I remember when my husband died and one of my husband's male friends his wife said to me oh I hope you're not going to make a play for my husband now because you're you're a widowed and it was kind of the cruelest thing to say and she didn't even realize she said it it was a immature thing to say but it, it put the shadow out there of like here I am in suburbia everyone's got a Range Rover and 2.2 kids and I'm, I'm the widow with my two children and I'm a little bit alternative and it was almost like I was standing out like a sore thumb and I think what's happened as I've evolved I found my tribe and your tribe is your vibe you know like you work together you support each other there's a collective parenting of children here which was the old way of doing it but actually it's the mother's wisdom that is the most important you know you need mother's milk and you need mother's love and then from the age of 7 to 14 the male influence is then important but actually uh, you know children and babies they, they need mummy you know for the first seven years of their life and so I see that and that's almost like what we're going we're going back to those ancient ways here mm. this this living with a man as husband and wife that patriarchal system never existed for thousands and thousands and thousands of years you know this contract of marriage only came when we started to move as tribes and it became about land ownership it became about the limp the women the land was always passed down through the matrilineal lines because the women were the ones who had the children so men had to control the women mm. so you know they would marry the women control them the contract was there and then they got possession of the land so the patriarchal system which I write about in my third book which is called The Truth Within the Heart of Love is really about the journey of the goddess through the soul and my journey but how there is this shift in terms of how we live because we've lived, we've lived in the West under the Abrahamic system of really um, a doctrine that has kept us contained and separated. So patriarchy is a system of divide and control. It's not a system of man being bad to woman. It's within each of us. It's a system of divide and control. And that's the system, capitalism falls under it, racism, all the taboos, this comes under anything that divides one person and controls another, that's patriarchy. And that's how we've lived, you know, since for the last 7,000 years. So, and I think now the Great Mother, the, this divine feminine energy is rising, our our planet is hurting because our planet is mother you know we're all gay our mother she is the great mother and our planet's saying come on you, you need to change the way you live because this consumerism is is killing me it, but it's killing me on a planet level global scale but it's killing us on an individual level we are a, a, a microcosm of what's going on on the earth so that is killing us from the inside out too so I think we have this opportunity to really break the mold I, I made a decision when I came to Goa that I was coming out of the system, that's it, Bass, I'm done. And I'm walking a path of being authentic and going back to nature and her simple life. I mean, don't get me wrong, I still live in a very nice place and I, I'm a shame, shameless, shameful, uh, proud, middle-class hippie, as I like to say, because we can have many riches of the West money and financial security but as long as it's done with the right intention and as long as it's done with the the way of sharing and giving to others you know we all dream I don't think there's anybody here who on earth who doesn't dream of being in a world where it's peaceful and we love each other and there's no poverty and there's no abuse but it's all there for us we can just live like that but we have to step up 
So I consciously say, okay, I, I share a lot of what I give, I make, I give, okay. And for me, this has been the energy behind my three books is I have to walk the talk. You know, I'm not a martyr. I still, you know, as I said, enjoy many pleasures of the West. But where, where I have the opportunity to give to others... It's, it's essential and it's that energy that feeds my work that will make my books fly. I know that, I know that really in the heart. So the books that I sell in Ibiza and in India, that goes to help build a school for our children. That's me walking my talk and I think we, and that's me leading by example and, and that's the outreach that I say to others, I'm doing my bit. We can only ever do it for ourselves. So, and hopefully, it will inspire others to do the same. So, all of the all of the profits from your books go to build this school. So, the ones that I personally um, sell uh, through my friends' yoga studios, you know, so our friends' studio, and I sell here on the ground. A hundred percent of the profits go to the school. My other books that I sell in America and through Amazon, I, I give a percentage to. Um, charities there's there's two charities that I support so one is the school and one is um the bone and body clinic because after my husband died my son was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and that was another stab to the heart what is cerebral palsy cerebral palsy is a disability that um is normally happens through a trauma in the womb so he was starved of oxygen um, inside the womb, so his brain was damaged. So he has um, part of his brain that doesn't work, and that part is the part of the brain that sends messages to his um, arms and legs. But So that was another in, immense trauma to deal with whilst I was grieving for my husband and everyone else. I don't know how you're still standing, frankly. Uh-huh. I really don't. I know. And it's a really important thing because I, I, I kind of come full circle on this. But when I came to Goa, the most beautiful synchronistic things started to happen to me because I started to open my heart to others. And I went to this clinic who they are from the Manipuri temple system, like martial arts, and they've developed a system to deal with the bone and the body and the skeletal system, and they heal people who come from all over the world. It's the most magical place. And when I went to see them, they just took one look at me and they said, we come, come, bring your son, and we won't charge you a penny. It's, it's our gift, you know, we don't charge children. If children come, with issues that we don't charge and I was just I kind of looked and I was like really you're gonna give my son treatment for free and they said yes come and that just made my heart melt so I always promised when I could I would help them give back because they they gave to me and it's this I mean money's just energy you know in, in the purest sense as are we so it was this keeping the, the loop going, and that made me go, okay, look how they're giving, I must give. Mm. So, and my son has blossomed and grown, and the cerebral palsy is, is no longer really something that keeps his life contained, because he says to me, I don't have cerebral palsy, mummy, I'm perfect. Oh my God, stop. You're going to make me cry again. Oh, <laughs> he is perfect though. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. just the most gorgeous little yeah. human um, yeah. that I've met a few times yeah, now. He's, he's just so intelligent and so, yeah. so stunningly gorgeous, yeah. like in every way. I didn't, well, unless you told me that, I would never have known in a million years. He yeah. seems like the most, yeah, switched on little, uh, little man in the world. And the thing is, is that because I've taken him out of the system and dealt with his cerebral palsy in a holistic way, so I give him cannabis oil, he has his stretches and treatments at the clinic, and, and, and the, the one thing they do at the clinic is they say, you do not have a disability, your hips are a bit wonky, your legs are a bit short, we're going to make that go away and you're perfect. Mm. So the mind is unbodying the cerebral palsy let's take it off you you're perfect and that's the gift of this clinic 
and I've met the most amazing people who who walk through that door and many of them now are younger men and one of them who I talked to about Michael um, who has has had quite a chronic spinal condition he said to me Dee I've been walking the shame of the masculine for the past 10 years and that sent goosebumps through my body because we have lived with so much shame and fear women and men because of this how we've treated each other in the past so it's not just women who are you know rising and working with this patriarchal energy that's embedded in our bodies and has come out in many ways it's men too and and this is the most important aspect of how we need to work together as men and women now and it kind of leads me on to the subject of my third book which is this sacred union of the masculine and feminine within and it is it's woven through my story but it's woven through the ancient biblical story of Jesus and his secret wife who I thought was Mary Magdalena but it's not she was part of a trinity of him and his wife and um, Magdalena who, who, who walked this earth and who spread a beautiful message but the Catholic Church didn't honour the female aspect of the teachings of the Christ and that's been buried in the bowels of the church and in the conditioning that we all live but now there's a shift and and this voice this feminine voice is saying no to be really at peace we need to walk together as equal men and women within ourselves so the integration of the masculine and feminine is about women taking unbodying the patriarchy it's about us coming back and being more vulnerable being women again accessing our emotions that we've we've trapped with inside our wombs it's about giving space for the masculine the gentle noble masculine to come in so the female is kind of like the embodiment of compassion but the masculine is is stillness and when we get that with inside us we move into the heart and when we move into the heart the heart is the center of all possibility everything happens and you move from a place of doing to a place of being and you move to a place where limitless possibilities present themselves without you even trying it's like little miracles turn up and that's been my experience of unity over this past year is that these little miracles just things seem to turn up as you know you know what India's like things just show up and like well how did that happen I didn't ask for that and there it is you know and I think that's what nature's calling us to do is to move back to a place where we are at peace within and if we're at peace on an individual level within then the world's at peace and I think that's all I think that's what everyone really if they were honest is calling for well, you do look very at peace. Yeah. And for a woman who, well, I don't know if you mind me saying yeah. that you said that you were about to turn 50. I yeah. mean, there's no way I would have said <laughs> that you look anywhere close to that. And um, obviously the yoga yeah. does uh, work wonders. But I think just being here generally is a very peaceful, relaxed environment. I think everyone looks very relaxed and go, and that's not due to uh, vast quantities of, uh, you know, alternative substances being smoked. It just seems that everybody looks very, very carefree around here, I have to say. And this, like, lifestyle of simplicity and less is more. I mean, even just walking down the beach yesterday with a really old friend of mine who turned up from a teacher training who lives in Iceland. And we were walking down the beach and we didn't have that much stuff. But he had his shoes in his hand and maybe a hat and a um, his phone. And he kept asking me to carry his things. And I was like, carry it yourself. Like, I like walking down the beach with nothing in my hands. And he was like possessions he's like they just really weigh you down don't they and I just laughed out loud and I was like oh my god you know you're such a hippie but at the same time it's so so true and I do feel so much lighter being here 
with so much less and the simplicity like I say on those morning walks that I witnessed wandering through the villages and when I was on that bike from Goa to Varanasi and saw this whole country in such an alternative incredible way that you wouldn't see in a bus or a plane train or a, you know an automobile it was um well we got lost a lot but it was mm. yeah it was really amazing to to really see village life in all its beauty so um anyway I we were almost at an hour believe it or not can you get over it um I'm loving the fact that you've got such a vast array of books laid out on this coffee table in fact there is no coffee table to be seen mm. we are just um, we've got a mini library in front of us which you know, obviously you are walking your walk. And I think to be a good writer, of course, you had to have done a, a decent amount of reading. But um, is there any, I mean, apart from obviously your incredible trilogy, which we will um, put in the description of the podcast, but what is there anything out of all these books that I'm seeing in front of me, is there any specific one that you would like to recommend to our listeners? A book, wow. Um, mm, Spiral Dance by Starhawk is pretty magical. So Starhawk was one of the first sort of... She's a Wiccan. Um, it's about witchcraft, but not witchcraft as we know it, paganism, witchcraft. It's all had such a dreadful shadow put over it because of the church. But actually, it, it's about esoteric practices and about our connection to nature Spiral, spiral dance is mother's dance through us. We have ups and we have downs and we go round and we go again. And this is how we live. We, we go through rhythms and motions and patterns. And this book really taught me how to connect to the goddess within uh, as a woman and is to receive those patterns and not try and fight them because I think women you know like yourself like many of our friends we've been I I call myself I used to call myself a chick with a dick you know like I was gung-ho had a massive career I was but <laughs> what was that massive career just out of interest oh the BBC I was at I was at the BBC like yourself and I I loved it and I think the BBC but I hated it because I was like the nutter, the, the weird fairy one at the BBC in the system. I mean, you can't get more in the system than at the BBC. But I felt I was kind of planted in there as a bit of an alien to train me for the work which is coming, which is this this work, because um, I'm doing a lot of promotion in America with my books and my public publishers in the States. And I think, I think many of us, yourself included, we've been groomed in the past through the communications industry and I, I, I know this, this to, to give us the skills to be able to go out into the world to speak and be a different way and we're, we're kind of light bearers for a new way of being which Starhawk and you know a lot of the pagans were pioneers of that and I think they it was very much part of the feminist movement but that the feminist movement had a time and a place but that swings the pendulum back the other way you know and that it becomes about women hating men that's not no you know that's not conducive to happiness either so I think we're at a place now where we're coming into alignment together as one you know where there is mutual respect but as a woman I just need to be me, a woman, and allow the man to be the man, you know, and find that balance. And I think when we've been all things to all people, it's actually quite hard for us as women to step back mm. and to really own our boots as women. And part of being a woman is honouring your softer side, your vulnerability and your emotions and your beauty and your inner light and... Your, you know, all the qualities, and then part of being a man is also about honouring, you know, their strength and their honour. Honour is a really big word, I think, right now. For women, I feel the word is respect. You know, we need to respect who we are, and men need to honour who they are, mm -hmm. and together we honour each other. Well. 
that seems like the most perfect place to end this because um yeah that is exactly um the nice kind of marriage i guess of those two energies together and um a nice way to balance things out i'm we normally try to give something back on this podcast just like you've been sort of talking about so i think i'm going to get you to sign this book and when i'm done with it i'm going to send it out to somebody that writes into our email address at just the good news please at gmail.com if that's okay with you Uh, i'd like to share the book and um i'm very much looking forward to reading it but um yeah i'm really grateful to have had you on to the podcast and for you to making the time to um to talk to us about all these wonderful topics but we're literally out of battery thanks joe and thank you to all the listeners um remember there's there's one really important thing i want to say is that we don't have to suffer anymore to walk these paths to be happy and that's the the three books are an embodiment of that essence you know we fought ourselves and each other and if that's one thing that you take from listening to this is that you don't have to do that anymore from someone who's walked the path of grief i tell you now you don't have to thank you dee thank you